like even worse do they do they have like rpg mechanics on that do they do you like level up your dude or? yes they do uh, so did you have to level up your other teammates like in front of you? Sorry. no you can only control yourself but you can like pick what uniforms you wear if you get good enough mm-hmm. <laughs> wouldn't that be good if they were just like yeah you know you're a good enough player on the team you know you what do you think our uniform should be like, yeah they, they did it they sent me like a uh, a letter on like fucking station <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, I love modern sports games. I never play them because, like, fucking oh, man. them. They had, like, a fucking ridiculous thing in the beginning where it was, like, a whole cutscene. Oh, no, it was, like, a whole, like, mini game where you're, like, you go through the high school. Last, you're playing your last two college ball games. Yeah. And, like, the first game, like, your best friend, like, tears his fucking Achilles tendon or some shit. Jesus. And your coach is Stringer Bell, and uh, he's like, oh, I don't oh. think what you're doing is what this team is, needs to be doing. But then, Damn. like, after the next game, he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I actually believed in you more because I was <laughs> trying to motivate you. And then I you thought you like, did better, you know. Then you got to go play, like, uh, like uh, Euro League for, like, four games until you, like, win the Summer League. And then, like, you get drafted. And all the time, like, you have all these scenes where you have your, your best friend. And he's, like, so hurt. And you got to, like, bring him along. And oh my God. often is, like, your girlfriend slash, like, like, fucking agent and shit. She's, like... Oh yeah, you should be definitely trying to get your monetary value out there or some shit. <laughs> what? what are you talking about, lady? And then later, later, your fucking best friend's gonna stab you in the back or something, and you have to need your career forever. <laughs> no, you like started having sex with the trainer or some stupid shit. Like your yeah. damn, it's like it's playmakers. Yeah, it is. Scott, you remember but playmakers? Like, it it ended like before you joined the uh, the NBA, and like you get a plane with LeBron James, and he's like, you know what? I see a lot of potential in you, son. You're gonna be the new leader of this NBA. Because I'm, I'm getting old or some shit. Who gives a fuck? Well, you remember playing it's a fun game. Old? I don't know. I don't care. He's been around he's been for playing, yeah, he's been for like fucking thirteen years, fourteen years, something like that. Yeah. God, playmakers. Talk about it. Alright. I don't you watched it. I didn't <laughs> I guess it was I reckon it was like Oz, but like on a football team. That's basically <laughs> it was any given Sunday the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any given Sunday though was pretty good. Like I don't care. Like you might hate fucking Oliver Stone. That's fine. Awful. That movie awful rules. Movie by awful man. Uh, eh, he's not the worst. Come on. There's worse people than Oliver Stone. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't think anybody's bad because there's somebody probably worse out there. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. I'm, thanks I'm for that. Mo- thanks for that morality play. Did you actually see the? Um, he did a, a documentary series on like. Yeah, I didn't watch that. You watched it. <laughs> No. Oh man, I watched it. It was tr- it actually he actually talks pretty like, um, like good shit about um, Wallace. Hey, Wallace Henry Wallace. Oh, nice. He yeah. talked he talked a lot about him. Also, he did some like like uh, you wouldn't imagine it, but there was a lot of like wild Stalin apologia by by uh, Oliver Stone, which was kind of hilarious. Huh. But yeah, he did fight. He did fight the Reds, man. You can't turn that around. 
Hmm. Hmm. Uh, His movies are retroactively very bad. Like legit. When's the last time you saw Natural Born Killers? Uh, I don't think I saw it in the first place. Then how can you say it's bad? Uh, I'll just I'll just like to take the internet's word for it, and everyone that's seen it's word for it. Have you ever right, seen Natural Born Killers, Jake? It's not Showgirls. It's not some like forgotten masterpiece that people like thought was the worst movie in the world. <laughs> I've never seen it. I don't watch movies. Quentin I Tarantino. Movies in a while, I watch a lot more wrestling than I watch movies now. Uh, inspiring copycat crimes. Oh no! Those unoriginal criminals. I hate it. Pretty much. Mickey and Mally. Man, what names? Yeah. Cool shit, right? I can... Hey, Tommy Lee Jones was in it. So I was I was saying the other day, holy shit, he looks so old. Oh my god. Anyway, um, this is funny because he's always looked old, but now he looks terrifying. Anyway, um, I was I was saying the other day about uh, Batman Forever, like Tommy Lee Jones, like hated um Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey, and like you totally get why once you watch the movie because like Jim Carrey's fucking blowing his shit out of the water. Like, Tommy Jones is trying to be wacky and two-facey, but he's got, like, a limit to how wacky he can be. At the end of the day, he looks like an yeah. old fucking drill sergeant. He's, he's still uh, a Yale man, or a Harvard yeah. man, whatever. Jim Carrey's just fucking going nuts every single scene he's in, so... Yeah. Um. So, I actually heard... I, I was just like, sometimes the YouTube algorithm will go crazy every now and then, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, w- I, I landed on an interview with Jim Ross. No, it was Jim Ross and uh, uh, the King Lawler. Dude, and Jake doesn't was, know who that is. Huh? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know anything about wrestling. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, Jerry the King. Oh, anyway, um, uh, it was an interview between two men. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. wrestling guys. Do you have the proper context for this? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna wrap it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie it up. So um. <laughs> He was talking about working with Jim Carrey on the movie Man on the Moon. Now, yeah. Man on the Moon was a movie about Andy Kaufman, right? Yeah. And part of like the story was that, like Andy, part of like the history rather was that Andy Kaufman was a intergender wrestler. He would wrestle women in like Memphis. And like mm-hmm. you know, like essentially, he was a big like they hated him, like because he was always just like beating up women as his character, right? I mean, like it's obviously a worked wrestling show, so that's not the case. But the Pete, the crowd is just like wanting to stab him with a knife, and he would mm-hmm. essentially had a big feud with um, Jerry Lawler, and like they had like a big fight on David Letterman and all this other shit. Uh, anyway, he talked about how, um, but he was like him and him and Andy Kaufman were like friends. And Jim Carrey, who plays Andy Kaufman in the movie, like would just do all kinds of crazy shit to just pretend like he's trying to get the Kaufman heat, but never ever like doing the we're cool behind the scenes thing, <laughs> which sounds extremely annoying. Like I would want to punch him in his fucking face too. <laughs> they had a documentary about that. About Man on the Moon. Yeah. Did they, they have a the documentary about a like a biopic? Yeah, yeah, Jim Jim and Andy, the Great Beyond. It was uh, all about like uh, how Jim Carrey was like being method or whatever, and I was like, "What are you doing? Like you fucking freak!" And he's like, "It's on Netflix." He's like, like, "I feel like Andy's uh, pranking people through me or something like that." That's so weird. Mm-hmm. He's a weird guy. Yeah, he's a fucking freak. 
Jim Jim Carrey, and he's gotten like weirder as he got gotten older. I saw so there there's a you can see it on YouTube. There there's like the very first time he was like on TV, he was actually on the Letterman show because he was doing impressions in like New York, and somebody mm-hmm. found him or something. And like he he seems like a really sweet, earnest dude, and he like talks a lot about his dad and uh, his dad was like always happy and stuff. And it's it's real fascinating in the context of like Jim Carrey's later career becoming really depressed and having lots of drug problems. <laughs> so. I don't know about his drug problems, but I know he did date. Uh, famous anti-vaxxer uh, Jen- Jenny McCarthy. So That's I'm right. Sure I'm sure he's got some bullshit belief in it. All that. Yeah. One of his Eric- girlfriends killed himself, killed herself or something. Like what? Yeah. Uh, I know. That's one of the reasons he disappeared from the public eye for a minute. Anyway. I know she's like uh, now dating the other Wahlberg. Donnie. How does that? How does that shit happen, man? I don't, you just go to the right parties, I guess. No, I think like you're. Fucking, I think you just tell your publicist and he says you have on a date or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Sounds pretty miserable, though. Like, absolute fucking weird shit. Like, I saw this thing. You, so, you, uh, I don't know if y'all have seen Bojack Horseman, um, but, like, I always get the sense that, like, it, of, of all the people that Bojack was supposed to be, like, aiming at, it was Jim Carrey, honestly. Anything? I get, I get the sense that is that dude. Uh, is this your secret Jake opinion? I think that's like recording the show, like just talking about. I already got it recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jake, I dropped the uh, I dropped the referral link in the chat. Y'all should both join DSA now. Oh yeah, yeah. Get me the damn hat. All right. Um, All right, man. I can't do it. Can't pull the trigger. Why? Chat. I don't have any money. You can you can get a dues waiver. I'll give you twenty five bucks to give to the DSA or whatever it is. Jeff, you're just like. You absolutely did the fucking. How do you do that? I don't know. You absolutely to used to do the the door to door chocolate thing, and like just get fundraising. You just want to get your like hands free uh, talking radio uh, phone or whatever. You just put the earbuds in your ear. I just and, want like, the goddamn the hat, man. Yeah. <laughs> Lifetime membership seven hundred fifty dollars. Oh, they my could capitalize Mindy's on that. Already gotten like twenty nine people sign up. That is fucking crazy. Yeah, pay $750. You cannot get kicked out. She's gotten 29 <laughs> All right, I'm going to do some fuck shit now. <laughs> Wait, what happened? <laughs> no, you told me it's $750 for a lifetime membership, right? And you can't get kicked out, so I'm going to do some fuck shit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Jeff, what did <laughs> you say? My friend Mindy's already got 29 people to fucking sign oh, up. Oh, shit. You got to beat her. Do you even know 29 people? No. <laughs> We're gonna have to start shit like don't give to our Patreon, sign up for DSA, use my link. <laughs> yeah. We hit we hit eight patrons now. We're at eight. How, how many do we how many we used to have? Don't say seven. Six. Yeah, alright, there you go. But now I gotta print up the stickers and and, and send them out. Oh yeah. You're Let gonna stick sticker, it, buddy. I should have gave it to you. I, I should have gave it to you on uh the other day. Yeah, yeah. No, you got a Patreon. Send it in the mail, motherfucker. Damn. <laughs> you know like, what? I do want to support. Drive the it post to my house, office. damn it. I'll, I'll, no, I want to. I want to support the post office. Hey, right, legit. All right, this is what a one-year introductory amount. Forty-five dollars. That's really cheap. Uh, if you do monthly Strange. dues, uh, actually, the chapter gets money from that. And if you do, uh, oh, okay, annual dues, Boop. we don't. Really? Weird. All right, all right. Standard. All right. Putting one in the uh, 
in the in the Twitter. Does the DSA send postal mail? Do you guys send flyers? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're pro pro mailman. So we have a, actually do. a deep uh, a DSA for UP, USPS campaign. Okay. How did I hear about DSA? Oh God. Um. Put my name. Okay. I heard about DSA like like six years ago when a bunch of other leftists were making fun of it. Wow, dude, fucked up. You just gonna, like try to say one thing about like one thing about DSA is if you join DSA, you can still make fun of it. <laughs> Everybody else does. <laughs> yeah, you can you can make fun of the ship from inside. <laughs> exactly. It hurts like, way oh. more. It hurts way more when it comes from one of our own. You can just go to one of your like cooler leftist like gatherings and be like, "Oh, I'm really winding these fools up, buddy. They got, I got, them, I really got them going." Yeah, you should get them to wind us up too. You should get it like organized and wind us up. Dude, this Why did like, you join DSA to combat imperialists? This could be like your sickest burn ever mm-hmm. on DSA. Maybe quote your sponsor. Why did you join the Yeah, sure, it? Some pet survey. <laughs> yeah. This is how you should just transact all your business. Like, uh, tell Kenneth he could pay you in DSA memberships. <laughs> Actually, I got to get his ass to join DSA. I mean, literally, like, it is, like, one of the things that I find really funny is that a lot of people in, like, active people in DSA, like, get, like, like weirded out or, like, nervous that like they have a bunch of like they'll be like a bunch of members and you know x number of them aren't active they're called they're paper members they're not doing anything and it's like how do we get like getting money in? well it's not even just that, like you have people who have like signed on to give money to a explicitly socialist organization and like <laughs> they're probably busy they got like lives and shit you know but like if shit goes down they'll probably be with us right like mm-hmm. that's not a problem or like it's like not not a problem in the sense that like we're fucked because of that you know like having a bunch of people that pay dues to the same organization is actually good even if they oh, don't yeah. do anything else it's like guys always participate this is awful all they're doing yeah. is giving us all they're doing is giving us their money yeah exactly like I mean, all you really need is the the cash at the end of the day. Like the more people you have, you know, about two cooks in the kitchen. Oh, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm all for people getting involved, but I'm like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, woe is me. Why can't we get the people to get involved? You know what yeah. I mean? Let's like, make these the D- let's make these DSA meetings mandatory. <laughs> Damn, that would that would just no, that would never happen. Not for me. At least. I, I'd have to drop out. So I, I joined the IWW a while back, mm-hmm. and like, um, so I still get their newsletter, even though I haven't paid them any money in uh, like five years. How's the general um, strike going? And like, yeah, it, it's there's always like an argument to like going back and forth in the emails, like, what do we do about the members? Like, do we do we give them stuff? Do we not give them stuff or whatever? And so it's just like, you know, I. I I joined this like a long time ago for an ideological reason, and you guys spend most of your time like talking about minutes and stuff. So about what minutes and stuff? Oh yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah. You, what you talked about last meeting? <laughs> wow, Jake, uh, you really talk about some other kind of unit of time? Are you? I gotta be. I gotta be honest. Like the other, the other problem is that like I'm constantly reading about like some kind of like oh, there's a sex predator in this group now or whatever, and, and they, we couldn't get rid of them because our accountability processes suck or something, and then yeah. 
there's a split for that like every other year like this happens again and again and it's always just like jesus that's what killed the iso well it was like but, what, what finally killed the I, I mean the iso was dying for a very 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 long time yeah. um but like there was just a like a top level sex scandal and uh, the iso mm-hmm, uh, international socialist organization mm-hmm. um it just it just kills me. I'm like I'm just mostly I'm just sitting here like why am I still getting these newsletters? I again have not paid in forever, but deleting the roles, however, is extremely controversial. So yeah, I just totally <laughs> always get these letters forever. Yeah. Maybe that's I used why to get, the IWW can't do anything. Mm-hmm. I used to have like a auto uh, auto transaction like donated to Planned Parenthood for like several years. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like as soon as I became like a, a mostly poor person, like. Uh, I just keep getting these things, like these grief emails that are like, oh man. Like, it, I couldn't figure out how to cancel that shit. I just fucking yeah. changed my card. I'm like, <laughs> They're like, things, things are worse now than ever. We need your money. And I'm like, dude, I cannot fucking help you. Like, yeah. Well, and. All right, let's get started. <laughs> I'm nice and mad about Planned Parenthood. <laughs> oh, God. Can you, finish better, can you find a better target, please? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just going to use that anger for something else. Good morning, comrades. You are listening to Good Morning Comrade, goodmorningcomrade.com. Today on the show, we have a very, as promised on Tuesday, we promised Jake. We're delivering more Jake. Yeah, the people wanted the people wanted Jake, and guess what? We're here to deliver. The people, yeah. Look, you should see my mentions. You should see my DMs. They're all like, "Bring back Jake! Bring back Jake!" Jake? (laughs) We need to know more about modern monetary theory. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man, I gotta beat you, you freaks off with a stick. <laughs> and also, we wanted to talk with him about uh, David Graeber, the death of David. Who was David Graeber? What are bullshit jobs? And what is debt? So we wanted to get a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, I can answer that. Debt was a uh, television program, a game show, game show, where uh, it was hosted by Wink Martindale. Where if you what? won. They would pay off your debt. Oh my god! You don't know this show? No. I yeah, don't. there was a show like people would come in like, "Oh, I got fifteen thousand worth of debt. I got thirty thousand. I got twenty thousand. And essentially, you would Holy answer shit. questions. Lifetime Channel too. Yeah, you would answer uh, questions on this show called Debt. Hey, and what it like, would hey, do is like you you would get like a hundred bucks, and your like like your score was your debt. Yeah. And like you would just see like the hundred bucks would come off of it. <laughs> that is nuts. <laughs> and wow. basically, uh, they'd be like, "Hey, wink." Uh, I, I, you know, got really overextended, $100,000 in chemotherapy. I really like what y'all to pay it. And he's like, well, answer these trivia questions, and <laughs> buddy, you'll be well on your way. I can't believe this was only two seasons, too. I'm just looking at this. God, wow. that is like the most American show ever. Yeah, how is, that, is. how is that not going to read? Yeah, how did it only no, last No, totally. Like, that That seems like uh, something that could last for a while. <laughs> uh, not in a good sense, but, oh, boy. Hmm. So I guess yeah, we can I mean, just get started like uh, on better. the on the question of debt. Uh, well, first, let's talk about David Graeber. Um, uh-huh. Who was David Graeber? I'll tell you. Uh, what. Don't wing Martindale. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Graeber is an American anthropologist who moved to England because he hated America or something. Um, now there's a legitimate reason. I should be able to look this up. But, he was um, uh, at Oxford, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He he basically he got a job there, um, and I think. Uh, they, they, he wrote some stuff about it. Uh, he he felt very pushed out by the um, the American academia. Um, 
largely because he's always been a really outspoken uh, political person. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about academia is that, like, though academia has an absolutely deserved representation for being uh, very leftist, we don't like talking about actual politics at all. Like, you have to... Uh, it's below things... you. It's, it's, that's what the hoi polloi does. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're the intelligentsia over here. <laughs> It's really fascinating because, like, you'll you'll read a lot of things that are like put out in academia that are very explicitly like condemning uh, things that happen within capitalism, but they will never use the word capitalism. They'll talk about like you know, oh, there's a lot of pressure to get ahead or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, once you start becoming political, then you become toxic, and then the administration and the finger finger mm-hmm. flexions, the administration. You know, it thinks that you're a problem, and then mm-hmm. they send you out of there. So, which is so um, political, by the way. Yeah, absolutely not. No, no, they're they're neutral. Um, everybody is there to learn. You know, they 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 want to expand their horizons. It, it's it's always just fascinating to me, just because like for so many years uh, the right has made such a big deal. And, and and to be fair, like they have an absolute point. You you do end up going out and learning a bunch of leftist stuff in colleges, but like the colleges themselves will absolutely disavow that they ever did any such sort of thing. Like it's, it's just a, it's an absolute, it, there's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that goes along in uh, academia. Uh, but anyway, uh, so he was an, uh, an anarchist actually. And uh, he, he kept getting into fights with people. So he, he moved to Oxford. <laughs> actually. Which uh, is not a political place so much at all. More tolerance for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess. But um he, he got involved in um uh, honestly he just got some like TV spots. He, he but he, he did actually go out and march in Occupy. Uh but he, he knew the right kind of people to get TV spots. And honestly that's one of the things you also do as an academic person, you just know people. Um but anyway, uh and he, he ended up coining the phrase the ninety nine percent and talking about the one percent. And that is a phrase we still use today and and it's has been like one of the the strongest contributions that he's had. Uh, to this discourse, even though he's also written a lot of other stuff that is not related mm-hmm. to that exact yeah. thing. Um, it's still kind of wild to think to me about how Occupy was 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, that Ooh. was like 2009, right? Yeah. 2010? Yeah, 2009? the summer. Yeah. Uh, it stretched on. I think it, it wrapped up by 2010. Well, that seems like uh, <laughs> it seems like it should not be that long ago. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like this year was a hundred years long. Like what? What is oh, absolutely, time? Absolutely, yeah. What time, is time? Time has gone completely off the rails. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, Donald Trump's been president for four years. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. Is that right? No, he's up for election. That must be right. It seems like he's been what president forever and for a fucking blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah, <it's weird. laughs> like time's passing. Like you're listening to a podcast at like at a, uh, one and a half speed. You're like, why is like? Uh, is this really how much I listen to? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, um, but yeah. Anyway. So, so David Graeber also he wrote an essay about uh, bullshit jobs. Um, as the name of the essay, I think was bullshit jobs. I actually had to look that up. Mm-hmm. Um, that also later he ended up like spinning up into a book. That's another thing you do if you're an mm-hmm. academic. If something gets really popular, you turn it into a book. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, that's how you, he wrote that's how you really cash good. in. <laughs> exactly. He wrote, he wrote another book uh, called uh, Debt, The uh, First 5,000 Years, which mm-hmm. was uh, actually more of a uh, – it was about debt, uh, debt with a B, in case I'm being inarticulate. Not, not death, debt. Not death. Uh, um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating book uh, that I've gone back to read again. Um, 
uh, this just recently because David Graeber is now dead, the the other kind of death, um, which uh, happens to us all. It's but a he was tragic like experience. In his 50s. Like he was, yeah, very young. he wasn't even that old. Uh, it's it's this has been such a hard year. Like mm-hmm. like having uh, uh, very much uh, enemies in power, or all our friends are dead, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, he. he uh, so anyway, yeah, I think I think one of the most important contributions they did it was this, this book about debt. Um, it, it takes a very holistic view on debt, not just in the sense of like medical debt or the TV show Debt, which I'm just finding out about today, um, <laughs> and that, it, but in the sense of like what we consider obligations to other people. And I, I think it, it always comes back to a moral place. I mean, one of the um, uh, I only know this because of the good place. Honestly, there's a book, uh, "What We Owe Other People," about uh, philosophy. It's like a philosophical, philosophical, uh, moral explanation, uh, exploration on what we do owe other people. Um, and but that's that's a very curious framing. Like like, what morals um, are based on is based on this idea that we definitely owe other people certain things, um, and that is the underpinning of debt itself. Mm-hmm. Is that we owe somebody. Uh, more often than not in the modern era, like a faceless uh, hospital or basically the agent the hospital hired in order to yell at you for a while, um, like you owe them a certain amount of money. But in, in a moral sense, like we, we owe debts to all sorts of people in our lives because all sorts of people do things for us that we don't necessarily pay for. And uh, a lot of social cohesion is built around the idea that we continue to interact with the people that we owe stuff to. Um, if we didn't owe them anything, then the general idea is that we don't interact with them. Um, and it gets it gets in a lot of interesting headspace because like a lot of the uh, the moral understandings of debt become confused with the monetary understandings of debt. And uh, to some degree, a lot of the monetary things are built on the idea that they can use the moral understanding of debt in order to squeeze more money out of you. Uh, or just make you feel bad. Like I have, a bunch, I have a bunch of student loans. I'm in, an, excuse me, a crazy amount of debt. Um, my my aunt would yell at me if I, I ever actually mentioned the number to her because she's such a sweetheart. She signed one of my loans and is actually paying it. And I feel really bad about it. But um, like it, it's something where like uh, I, I owe debt to essentially a, a faceless loan organization built by the government uh, as a means to, uh, you know, it, it gets really it gets really interesting to think about that part. The, the school loans is like, originally it was a means to help uh, lower income people go to college. But mm-hmm. as time has gone on, um, it, it is more and more a subsidy of the college system yeah. of academia existing at all. Well, the, um, the system normalized it and basically relied on that as a, as a subsidy. Yeah. It, it became a subsidy for the academic institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, Entirely. It, it, and, and essentially, if you don't have like a significant, because essentially, because that subsidy gets put in place and there's no controls on the costs of education, the cost of mm-hmm. education, you could just skyrocket, you know? Yeah. There's no reason not to. These, these, the money that's going to go to the students is guaranteed. Like I can mm-hmm. sign whatever, and it didn't matter. I, I, I didn't have any credit because I didn't have a any credit history mm-hmm. at the time when I was eighteen. As is very, very often the case with student loans. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
So ultimately, yeah, it didn't matter whether it was going to pay it or not because like the government paid it, and now the government has this like uh, in in theory like hold over me until I finally finish off that debt, and then then they can no longer sue me or whatever. Whatever it is, government does. I I, I feel like incredibly fortunate. Garnish there your are wages. a lot of people who do get sued, mm-hmm. and they, they they get wage garnishment. You know, they they don't necessarily get sent to deputy prison, but they'll figure something out. You know, mm-hmm. they'll be like, oh, this was contempt of court or something, and we'll send you to prison for six months, um, and not forgive any of the debt. It'll just keep going up. Um, but like, it, it's it's a weird relationship to be having with the, the government. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, it's really to the government's benefit to have people in that uh, sense, not not just in what you hear a lot, like the popular sense where it's like, oh, well, we have the students indebted so they can't uh, rise up and overthrow the government or mm-hmm. some other sort of thing because they have to get jobs and things. Not not just in that sense, but just in the general moral sense where it's like, you know, I, I owe something to the government. They gave it to me. So, you know, now I must be a productive citizen. I can't, you know, do what I want with my life. I have to be a productive citizen with my life, you know. Uh, um Ooh, I feel like I went really far afield on this. Where was I gone? No, no, no. You were basically talking about the uh, <laughs> way that student debt interacts with our life, but is not really the original sort of like anthropological conception, as uh, at least as outlined by Graeber. There's a lot more mm-hmm. of a communitarian, like mutual debt to one another that that mm-hmm. humans. I mean, at some level, we 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 currently and and always will have to have. No person is like. There, like the 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 Randian myth is bullshit, right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. No, no one is an island. We are yeah. all part of a, a larger community. And when you when you go out to like hunt for your community, you do it not necessarily because you're you're a nice person. And and really, at the end of the day, it is because you're a nice person. But really, not necessarily because you're a nice person, but because you owe the community. Because when you were sick like three weeks ago, your your neighbor brought you soup, and you're like, oh well, I'm gonna bring them some meat. And then they are gonna be like, oh well, you know, my friend brought me some meat, so you know, I'm gonna sew them a nice new uh, shirt or something. And it, it, it's it's always like this constant. So so what they used to call that in anthropology is a uh, uh, something called a gift economy, where where you would be passing gifts around, um, and it's not it's not understood the same as debt because like debt really has a loaded connotation in modern uh, society. And even in the fifties when they were writing about gift economies, um, mm-hmm. but that's basically what gift economies are. You, you give people gifts with the understanding that in the future they'll give you gifts mm-hmm. and everybody will get along that way. Like it's, you, you don't necessarily like, you don't have specific things that you, and see, see, that's what makes it so weird because like we, we do have such an understanding of debt that is built around like very concrete amounts of money that you owe, very specific terms that you owe. Uh, but the fact is like uh, for debt for a lot of history it had very, very big ideas of like these these kind of things where like, you know, you you can't necessarily say that the amount of meat that I gave to somebody is worth one shirt. And that was never actually a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always just like, you know, they did a nice thing for me, I'll do a nice thing for them. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the thing is, it's just nice. Right, and conceptually speaking, it's not even just nice. Like it's a necessary, yeah. like part of the society. It's not, you know, yeah, what you're, I mean? you're like, participating. Like it's if nice you were, and it's that, you know, like like a lot of early tribes. Like if you were the sort of person who was like hoarding wealth, if you were became very wealthy because you called in a lot of your debts and you just had a lot of stuff sitting in the back, uh, people people thought you were terrible. They they there were all sorts of things. They they thought you were using witchcraft. It was a very common thing, like mm-hmm. in order to become very wealthy. They, you know, anti-social. They, they, 
No, right. Wealth, like like hoarding wealth, would would be considered antisocial behavior. Absolutely, yeah. And the and that was all because like you never you didn't give back you didn't pay back your debt to the the other people around you. And basically, what people would do is they would just go collect on the debt. They would just show up and take all your wealth, and mm-hmm. you would be you were just one dude. You would be you'd be shit out of luck, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the in in a lot of sense, like a lot of the stories that we tell ourselves like in, in modern times about like how, uh, how pastimes worked or how, like what we're doing now is relatively natural. Like it's natural to be greedy and stuff. Like, so, so none of that stuff is bared out by like any kind of historical evidence or even contemporary evidence because there continue to be tribal societies around the world, all over the place, all over the place and islands everywhere. And then also there's a big swaths of rural land. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So debt is great. It's, it is. It is. So I was, I was saying, like way back, um, it is really uh, an anthropological book. Um, David Graeber is an anthropologist, and that is how you would write a book. He, he just constantly brings up examples of various tribes. Um, mm-hmm. One of the one of the reasons I washed out of anthropology school is because I can't remember tribe names. I'm really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a good anthropologist, you just like pop up and be like, "Yeah, this is the Lele tribe, and you know, this is the Mboko tribe over mm-hmm. here." And shit like that, and I'm just like, ah, that's shit. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, the interesting thing, and and we talked a little bit about this before we started talking, is the difference between the sort of like modern conception of debt, which is this sort of you, you know, have a relationship with a credit card company that's not a part of your like community mm-hmm. or localized society, but it's a part of like the grander thing, but the relationship with you between you and, and, and like discover or whatever is purely yeah. transactional uh, or, I mean, like really predatory in a, in a, in a very, I mean, a very clear sense when the um, version of, of debt in the sort of like more interpersonal sense is a lot more like, well, it might be like somewhat transactional, uh, it's less predatory and it's more like pro-social. Like it's a, it's like a necessary um, building block by which a society can and can be constructed. I mean, you could say like government essentially is like kind of a gift of economy, but like what government is now, it's supposed to be a thing where you give the government money and it kind of fixes all the problems. But now it's a thing where you give it money and it just like kicks the shit out of you. So, so that's so. So, what's great about David Graeber is so he's an anarchist and he's an anarchist anthropologist. And what he he will go through a lot in a lot of his writing is the fact that a lot of government was basically founded by um, uh, highway robbers, you know, like thieves essentially, who would get together and they would tell you, "Hey, you got to give us money because I got like fifteen guys and we'll beat the shit out of you if you don't." Um, and that that is the basis of taxes and. That that sounds you know terribly libertarian, but the fact is that like, and, and this let me see, see if I can segue this into the modern monetary theory is that taxes don't actually pay for any of the stuff the government does. Um, taxes are pretty much just a way of the government saying that it owns you more or less. It doesn't really own you. It just it, taxes in under modern monetary theory are a way of creating demand for your dollars. So. If the government says, if you don't pay your taxes in our dollars, we will put you in jail. Um, it, it's not necessarily a 
they don't need the taxes. The taxes end up just getting deleted off of like a spreadsheet somewhere, but it does create the need for you to go get money. Mm-hmm. And that, that helps kind of grease the whole wheels and gets the whole thing turning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and essentially, yeah, in, in most cases for early governments, I mean, the, the initial claim was that, well, the, the very first claim was, frankly, that they were just taking money from you because they could. But eventually it became like a mafia scheme, like where you said, hey, we're, we're selling you protection. You know, if you give us your like 30 percent of your grain, we'll make sure that nobody comes to mess with your grain. And, and then that basically worked because, frankly, if you you're getting 30 percent of somebody's grain, you're not going to want like somebody else to just show up and mess with that grain. You, you want that grain to be good. Uh, so you do have something of a contract with the with the people like at large, um, but like it, it's yeah, it, it kind of develops from there basically. Like it, everything starts getting further and further along, and you get more and more like justifications where the government says, "Well, we have power because the gods say we have power, and therefore you should give us your grain," um, and like. But there's always like a sense too that you're you're paying into the government to help have them help you with your future problems, in theory. Right. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a, it's an interesting. Uh, I don't. Know. Yeah. It, no. And and again, like the way that um, you described the sort of like protection um, component of it too is very f- interesting because it's a lot of it's like the way that a way that a lot of us sort of conceive as as at least in the in the mainstream sense uh, as like like mafia style corruption you know what i mean like it's almost mm-hmm. like um this is a, like a purely exploitative approach when there is sort of a uh, a multiple way that this can kind of go you know it can it yeah, it, it, well, and so so one of the things, I mean, and uh, so tribal societies mm-hmm. generally don't have particularly strong governments. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, like, even if you get into, like, a society that has, you know, like, four or five villages um, of folks who live in a generally similar way, so, you know, the people group them together, essentially, um, like, the, the negotiations between them are all very... Uh, it, like the rules are, they're all negotiable. Every rule is negotiable. Um, there's no real enforcement of any of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, the the way people interact with each other really just comes down to like what they can agree upon between each other, um, especially in these smaller societies. And like, it, it's not until you get to like actual like governments where you start seeing like firm laws that have like actual power base behind them. Yeah, like, um, like Hammurabi type shit. Yeah, 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 and yeah, not until you get to like a, a big temple city where you have like the cool ziggurat in the middle, and that's where you live, and then all the other people <laughs> live around you, and like a big circle. Yeah. And you gotta have your like Babylon this. first. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it, it's so <laughs> because David Graeber is an anarchist. Uh, the, the debt book also does talk a lot about you know the development of states, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's a good thing to talk about because it does have a lot to do with debt. Because yeah, that is one of the ways in which states would justify themselves as being like you owe a debt to the state mm-hmm. for your not having your grain messed up or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a way you can frame it for sure. Um, you know, one of the things the, that uh, that also 
is reminiscent of, at least in my brain, and I think about this a lot, of um, sort of like the progressive era, quote unquote, in the United States, and uh, like Teddy Roosevelt, like breaking up, like like these you know political networks and like yeah. Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed and all this other crap. Ending the Gilded Age. Yeah. Well, it, well, not only that, but like the the entire conception of and i'm not saying that it's like necessarily like a good thing and i've talked about this a little bit on the show but like mm-hmm. like there was this idea of like political corruption and a lot of like paying people to like go vote or whatever and that was basically like these individuals being bullied into like supporting these political machines or whatever and mm-hmm. that's like there was a lot of this kind of like a lot of immigrant type communities would be involved with that. And there would actually be, that would just be part of the sort of like internal networks and, and inner workings of, of that sort of like micro society within the U S. And so like, like when you have these, uh, and essentially when you blow those up using law is really an interesting thing to me. Uh, because yeah. you got like a, you have like a, like a legal, justification to essentially destroy community bonds and replace them with either uh either nothing or with um but you're destroying these community relations yeah absolutely they're they're um to actually tie this back to modern monetary theory mm-hmm. i mean that was that was around the time um not adam smith um John Maynard Keynes, right? He was all yeah, right? Um, um, I, mean, I mean, not if you're into wartime Keynesianism, for sure, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, hell yeah, 1883 to 1946. Anyway, um, yeah, so th- this was a lot of the, the time when we started, like, shifting our view on on money again. Um, the, the, the thing the thing about money, too, and, and the, the book does go into it, is that it's actually had, like, uh, like a fairly differing view depending on, like, mm-hmm. any any given year that you land on it like like even even now today like we we kind of think of ourselves as like vaguely uh, reaganist uh we still have like some ideas about like uh trickle down stuff but Mm -hmm. like a lot of stuff has changed um even the other day um maybe like a couple years back like mnuchin was basically just saying like yeah it's totally fine if we print as much money as you want it's totally cool everything's fine um reagan did it yeah reagan did it um but um uh yeah, there there was uh, what's what's interesting. So so the progressive era actually started with the assassination of um, was it McKinley? I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, An anarchist killed him because he listened to a really good speech by Emma Goldman. Which God, I wish that would happen these anyway. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, yeah, it, and it, the the thing about the the late 1800s um, is that uh, a lot of new technologies were coming out. Um, and everything was suddenly looking. This this was the same time that Marx was operating. Frankly, um, the, everything was looking like really cool. Like things were getting produced in in higher amounts and like more easily than things before. That was where a lot of Marx got his ideas that like the future meant everything was just going to get way cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a there was a big wave of utopianism in in society. The, this was the time when the populace became. Um, a major electoral force uh, with William Jennings Bering. Um, they, these are a bunch of farmers who were like, hey, yeah, check I out like... Tom Frank's book on that. Yeah. The people know. Um, 
No, yeah, it, it, and so so would you eighteen ninety seven year of the game or woo <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so 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 you saw it like kind of it's not necessarily an awakening, but like the 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 role that money played in society uh, was was highly in question at the time, and the the whole uh, idea of moving from a gold standard to a silver standard um, was was a huge electoral topic for like thirty fucking years. Uh, but um, <laughs> now we don't even right. have that. Yeah, yeah, no, that that ended, man. Um, fuck but that, um, fuck that gold, silver standard. <laughs> But as a as a result, I mean, like, the, I think people. This was around the time when credit cards were invented too. I mean, this, this was when like people just kind of changed their whole relationship with with money and society themselves. And like, I, I wouldn't say it's like necessarily when like a lot of the problems started, but it it's in in some ways it is like this is. Um, I, I think. Uh, the the invention of the telegraph, like all all sorts of stuff, was just going on right then that really built the ability for banks and things to like keep track of stuff a lot better to to transport things a lot better um we kind of moved to towards like a a less personal society Mm -hmm. around then um in so many ways i think Mm -hmm. yeah Um, i don't know (laughs) what's interesting about that so like um one of the things about uh a lot of modern religions, um, and, and this was a theory, uh, I think David Graver posted this at some point, but this was a theory by some other folks, um, essentially that modern like Christianity, um, uh, Islam, um, basically a lot of modern religions started around the time that money started being um, coined, essentially. Uh, once, once money became portable and you could start keeping it, like the, the, the moral status of money became like a, a completely different, uh, a completely different ballgame, essentially. Um, that's when you started having, instead of the uh, Judeo-Christian God who had, or that, sorry, the, I shouldn't be saying that, uh, the, uh, the original Hebrew God who mm-hmm. um, had very, very specific ideas about um, like what you owe to your family, what you owe to your community, um, you ended up with uh, Jesus Christ, who had uh, ideas that you know if you're rich, you can't go to heaven, you got to give up all your money, uh, all all of these things are bad. Like you, you didn't get a lot of that in in writings before that because I, th- I think in, in a lot of ways it was a lot harder to have like a lot of wealth um, before they started printing money and you could start hoarding it and putting it into like like a, a concrete form. And and have discrete units of it, and mm-hmm. like buy stuff using it, or trade for it, or whatever. Like they, a lot of a lot of morality ended up being. I I, I don't know. I, I think this is a compelling argument. I think some other people said uh, some decent, valid criticisms of it, mostly because like these religions happened about two hundred years after coining started. But um, I think I think it's about enough time for it to like I don't know massage its way into the population. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, like a lot, so much of this. Uh, so just going back to like the the morality of like debt, um, the morality of having like money um, ended up being related, and um, I think in the progressive era of the United States, which uh, started with Teddy Roosevelt, the morality of money shifted again. Uh, but we were long since like creating religion times, so now we were talking more about uh, financial markets and things. So. Which is a which is a type of religion. Really, it really is. Like we we have such interesting relationships to like what is and isn't a religion. 
I, I've been spending this bunch of time like playing Avengers and like in, in so many ways, like modern comics are our religion, popular cop culture in general, like mm-hmm. build our, our general. Well, the ideas. invisible hand it, of the free market is a fucking that if that's not like a, a <laughs> church, then I don't know what the hell is. I mean, I, hate when, you, I hate when you go to church and they send around the microtransaction plate. <laughs> Dude, if you can't like Venmo, uh, if you can't Venmo the, to the plate at this point, then what yeah, the hell is on? the Catholic they Church just, even doing? They should just right. have like a, a big like uh, Patreon board behind the church guy, and like, yeah. it just goes. It's just like a, a Twitch thing, and it's like, oh, you subscribed, now you get like you three extra God emojis. <laughs> That'd be nice. You're in the premium God tier emojis. Like you get so, to go on the baptism water slide. You know, I just thought of this and like um, the how it can be a wrinkle. And I don't know if anything that Graber has in uh, uh, if Graber was anything in Graber's book or any of his writings or talkings about it. It's just but like one of the ways that I mean, this show and many, many other, um, you know, shout out ventures (laughs) essentially like to like, you know, create a, you know, media like uh, YouTube channel, Twitch channel, whatever the fuck, you know, they mm-hmm. always have like a Patreon and they all have this, which is like a way of creating social exchange, right? Mm-hmm. You give to my Patreon and I'll give you, uh, you give to Good Morning Comrades Patreon and you can get a uh, sticker that says Hi, uh, Biden Harris 2020 because sometimes you have to clean the damn toilet, for example, right? Um, but that sort of does build kind of a parasocial, which is just another way of saying social connection mm-hmm. between, uh, you know, patron and, you know, client in that sense, don't you think? Yeah, no, um, money, money relationships have always been like undervalued as like legitimate uh, interpersonal relationships. Like it's mm-hmm. it's um, it's one of those things where like a lot of the folks who are talking about it are economists who are like really invested in like higher level business dealings. And w- when you have like a business dealing with another business, um, that that's about as impersonal as you can get. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have a business. Oh, yeah, I want a service. They're if literally service, not really humans. If, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, like, for the average person, like buying a product, like th- this is a reason why, like you get so many of these like fans of media who feel so much ownership over the media is because they bought like three hundred dollars of crap that like is related to that media, and they feel like you know I've invested not just my my general thinking process but actual money into this like uh, this series of, of superhero cartoons, and therefore I have some ownership over it, and I I think that's oh yeah, fandom uh, cultures for sure. Yeah, like it, I think it's um, it's it's absolutely something that I think is is under it, people don't think about it in the the same way as they do like other stuff. Um, I I feel like I shouldn't be saying that now. Like I, I feel like I've read I've read a lot of really good criticism, um, especially post Gamergate of these sorts of things where, um, especially like young men feel that they are. You know they own gaming, and that the, any kind of uh, affront to gaming is is bad. Right. Uh, anything that they like reduces their ownership of gaming, and and like I think a lot of those are getting at the same sort of impulse. But it's really it's a lot broader in society. I think this is absolutely true of, of anything where you start 
start being like, hey, I I donated money to the Lafitte Greenway, for instance. Like, I feel like I'm a member of the Greenway Association, so I can use Greenway whenever I want. So I'm going to show up at three in the morning and do my little show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, it, people people build that kind of thing all the time because mm-hmm. like we we don't necessarily see like monetary transactions in the same way that economists would like us to see it or right. the, the, They're the a lot way more cold. that yeah or or the way that like uh, uh, debt debt corporations um generally think of these things like they don't see we don't see it as like a, a an impersonal thing we see it that like oh thank you so much for allowing me to go to college to learn the skills i needed to become a vacuum technician or something um and and like become ahead in the world i i owe you for doing this this is a fantastic relation and then real talk like the the maybe if you took out a private debt they're just saying hey you know this debt uh you know it doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere we're going to sell it to some dude for three hundred dollars and they we made at least three hundred dollars off it we you know yeah and it's it, it, I think I think in so many ways, like there are a lot of things in the modern world where we we just there there are too many the, the the interactions end up becoming impersonal because there's too many people involved and like we we don't necessarily know the people on the other end and like it, it becomes really complicated for us as people to navigate because we we really are built for like these smaller tribal situations where we basically know everybody and all four of the villagers that are nearby us and like we can definitely point to the person who said, Hey, that's the guy that I gave my best rock to. And that jerk never gave me anything else. So, you know, fuck him. Um, so it, it, it's really, it's just, I, I never want to get bioessentialist on this stuff because almost every, bioessentialist, like, yeah, in every, almost, well, I just want to say like every, every single bioessentialist claim is essentially eugenics, like dressed up. Well, yeah, well so, but, but I guess the, here's the thing, like there does, there is a certain amount of social time, like time that it would take to socially adapt yeah, to these kinds absolutely. of, and, and our society is, and then, but, and then we've yeah. had, you know, the past, you know, and thinking about technology, you know, from, blasted in the light I mean, space like from, fucking yeah, it's been from, 150 years basically and, from the telegraph to now yeah. has just been like pedal like to the fucking metal like on a yeah. rocket ship like if you just like look at the way that technology has increased in that mm-hmm. period of time um like the the expectation for social well for individuals in a society which move faster than the structures in the society to adapt um, mm-hmm. it really is because I mean, again, when you see like, you know, with telegraph and telephone and, and, and different forms of communication, you see a lot more political instability that goes along with that. Oh, a lot more, a lot more like revol. I mean, the 1800s were the, I mean, the 1900s were a century of revolutions. Yeah, no. And that was all Both like, because people were able to get like these books from other countries, like the, the sharing of knowledge mm-hmm. became such a big thing. Yeah, like, if you want to go back uh, to the printing press even, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, the, it right around that time. I mean, that was when like penny novels were invented. Like people could just go out and read broadsheets from another country real fast. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that people did back then. Like, like everybody's like, all like, Oh, blogs are the, why am I saying blogs? Wow, what is this? <laughs> Twitter. Um, yeah, TikTok. Uh, like Twitter is the thing everybody's like talking too fast. Or whatever is like oh, Twitter. Like, what is this? 2015. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing now? Jesus, TikTok or something? Oh, yeah, there you go. Yes, of course. It's because of China. <laughs> but you no, know, they they all started magazines. Everybody had a fucking magazine in like 1880. You yeah. know, like if you if you had some 
grief with society you got together with like five of your buddies and you fucking printed a magazine yeah. and, like, and if you're really it smart like you called it a journal <laughs> yeah, you, just, you just get like three three people down at the pub and like go create a shit rag yeah. now, now no, and, and mail mail was so much better back then like that yeah. suddenly you could actually mail stuff across the country if you yeah. really wanted to like it, it really created a revolution where people were thinking like i I don't know if I'm like understating exactly like the progressive era was 100% the result of like yeah. all of this in- insane stuff that people had invented since like the civil war. Mm-hmm. I'll come out on the other side of this issue. The mail always been a mistake. <laughs> Damn. Not a fan. Hell yeah. Nobody should talk to anybody. Fucking fuck them. I, I think if it rains, I think if it rains or snows, you shouldn't have to do anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in partial agreement with that. <laughs> I always think about how the fuck the the Green Lantern like theme was just basically ripped off the post office. Or <laughs> wow! <Just> like, <laughs> That's because the Green Lanterns are the mailmen of the DC universe. I guess so. Um, the cops just the cops just stole the uh, mailman's theme, and they're like, "Ah, oh, well, Let's there's see. no there's no mail office in the." The green zone or whatever. The green, the green. How, how do you mail a letter? What if yeah. you're like you're in like Thanagarian or whatever, and you want to mail a letter to Earth? Like, how does it get I'm there? Sure, sure, they have like transport ships. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Think about it, Jake. Come on. You just you just find Hawkman and be like, hey, are you you done being wife guy for a minute? Take this mail to Earth or whatever. Fucking. Yeah. What else is he doing? Yeah. Do anything. Being a wife guy. He's got a mace. What is he gonna do with this mace? Hey, mace guy, you can fucking you can hit dark side with that mm-hmm. mace. No, you're not. Take my mail. Anyways, since we've gone (laughs) to this point, uh, since we've gone DC, actually, I wanted to like take a take a little turn here because I think a lot about the anti-life equation. God damn it! What? I'm constantly confused because I'm sitting here like, is this supposed to kill everybody? It's like, no, it's supposed to control everyone's mind and like. Well, but it's kind of genius, don't you think? I mean, like the idea of the anti-life equation. It's just bad ideology that's gonna like fucking harm you instead of like. The person it should you're... kill you, right? Anti-life. I don't know. No, death is an anti-life. <laughs> no, anti-life of it, is just no, like... no, no. The conception of the anti-life equation is essentially like life is essentially the it's ability freedom. to live and be free. Correct. And anti-life is essential. Oh, we lost Jake. We have the did we have the anti Jake equation? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I got it mixed up. Um, no, no, no. The, so okay. here's the here's the anti life equation. So uh, loneliness plus alienation plus fear plus despair plus self or uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't say that. That's a bunch of uh, Morrison stuff. And in, in, uh, <laughs> all right, fine, Jake, whatever. But the like, idea of it is essentially like, fire. fine. Oh, God, wow, what a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the idea Sorry, of man. it is I, to sort of like take all these terrible like uh feelings of people that would like isolate them as individuals and make life completely pointless and meaningless. Um and this is actually this is the original Kirbyan reading, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, essentially, but essentially I'm like saying, to, uh-huh. I'm just saying, man, like Jake will tear you apart. You're gonna tear me Don't apart? Do it. I, don't know. I, I I can barely remember what Grant Morrison did or did not do because he did like fifteen. Anyway, the whole point of it is to to the, the whole point of it is to like anti life equation is to suck all of the human connection and meaning out of like life and, and engagement with people to the point where you feel hopeless and alone and mm-hmm. isolated and there's no like like essentially you become black pilled. 
right? Mm-hmm. You have no like you have no choice but to like listen to Darkseid because he's telling mm-hmm. like because he's basically like convinced you that that nothing good will ever happen and there's no point to anything in fucking life. So mm-hmm. either listen to him or kill yourself. Who cares? You know, you do want to have a coward to kill yourself anyway. So I mean, he's not saying kill yourself. He's saying kill yourself, but do do it like in my mind or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I just think about that a lot, and it's really interesting. Hey, that's, I mean, a, that's a good I mean, way. That's a good way to. Put I mean, it these are real it. themes that like Jack Kirby thought about. No, <laughs> Kirby's like, cool. Saw man. the Nazis face to face. I appreciate that about coming. So, so actually, so the, as as you asked me to bring this up on the show, so I I, I went and read the boys because um, <laughs> I saw a tweet that was like, "You should." Um, yeah, why would you read the Watchmen if you? Uh, could read the boys and like, like the the. Um, so it's actually so so what I think is really interesting is so Derek Robertson was like involved um, and Derek Robertson also did um, Transmetropolitan, which I think is a, a much better series. But there's there's some certain things where like Transmetropolitan decided to be like weird and edgy, and that was the fact uh, is Derek, Warren Ellis. Yeah, that was Warren Ellis. Um, but Derek Derek Robinson got into a unique position where he was able to collaborate with both Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis on mm-hmm. like character designs and even a little bit of writing. So I, I do wonder like how much of this I can actually pin on on Derek or on Garth. But it, it, so so the Garth Ennis story like the 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 boys was a like the 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 summary is that there there are superheroes. Um, they're all basically created by a corporation. Uh, who found a compound that would make people into superheroes and they are all, they're all motherfuckers. They're basically, they all do some shit. Um, they're all terrible. Yeah, they're all, t- they're all terrible. Typical um, Garth Ennis comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what, what kind of was kind of cool about the comic at least is that it went through the, the whole motions of being like um, the, the, main, the main character is this like uh, Scottish guy whose girlfriend is immediately killed by a, uh, a superhero, and um, then he's contacted by this uh, this British guy who's actually part of the CIA uh, to join a group of folks called the Boys, um, who are supposed to be watching the superheroes and and shutting them down when they get too bad. So they watch um, the Watchmen. Exactly, like like that is essentially yeah. They were supposed to be the Watchmen of the superheroes, and I can I can totally get where that's that connection comes through, um, and. It, the 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 overall kind of plot ended up being sort of interesting because every every so often and I think this is what makes a good comic is that like you you take this uh, premise of like all the superheroes are bad and then be like well what if some of them aren't actually that bad so you know the main character meets a lady who actually believes in the superhero thing and she's mm-hmm. okay and then later he he meets like a, a team of like like on the younger side they're not quite children but like teenage superheroes who are all like a little bit uh special they're they're in some way disabled and like they're they're okay and and constantly like the main character has to contend with uh the the british guy who's like kind of the second main character of the series to be like hey you know these people are okay you don't need to be so hateful about them uh and and i think i think it was kind of it was an interesting approach to be like hey you know this the main character is just a generally good guy who sees the best in people. And like, he, he is probably a good person to be like, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't actually worth it. And by the end of the story, I, 
I will spoil it for the viewers of your show, I guess, because the TV show is going a completely different direction. So don't worry about that. Um, but by the end of the story, the the second the British guy wants to kill literally every superhero on the entire planet, and the main character has to be like, oh no, don't do that. That's that's probably bad because some of them are okay. And uh, it 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 turned out to be like a decent story. But the the problem is like almost everything that's like attached to it, like it's an incredibly edgy story. It, it's really on the nose with all of its like parodies. Like it does the X Men, it calls them the G Men, makes fun of how many X Men there are, and makes it look like Charles Xavier is a pedophile and just, it does a, it's not a terribly subtle comic. And it also does a lot of really, really racially insensitive things that are like for shock value that are just, Oh, well that's, that is Garth Ennis. All the bad Garth Ennis things. Have you ever heard of this comic that this guy wrote called the Punisher kills the Marvel universe? Uh, I did hear about that. I read the Wikipedia on it. I thought it was kind of I have the comic if you want to ever borrow it. It's stupid (laughs) as hell, but... (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) But he basically, like, like, apparently, I mean, I guess, I guess Garth Ennis just hates heroes, like, superheroes. He likes, like, guys like the Punisher, and he just wants, like, he just wants to kill them in his, like, in his fantasy world. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can see that as a valuable opinion. I don't know. Jesus. Um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, um, the, the so to move on to the show though, I, this is part of the reason I watched it is because I, I read it because uh, I knew there was a show coming out, and uh, I keep seeing reviews and stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should check it out. Uh, so the show, the the it basically does not get a good read on the comic. It doesn't really. It does exactly what I was kind of worried it would do. It just it leans on the the. Uh, the shock value stuff of the comic more so than any of the actual story plot. Um, it changes a bunch of major elements uh, in a way that makes it more palatable to an American audience and just... Oh, what? The American audience? Yeah, so so the main character in The Boys is like a, a Scottish dude who who says a bunch of Scottish things. He says his, his catchphrase is jings and it, it, it's cute and funny. Um, but so the main character of The Boys in the, the Amazon series is an American guy who has a Scottish dad who looks like discount Bill Hader, um, frankly. And like, he, he doesn't, he's not like a good guy. He's a coward. And, and I, I get really kind of worried that that this just means that like the American read on this comic is that like, Oh, well, so he's a nice guy. So therefore he must be a coward or whatever. And it's like, he, he was never a coward in the comic. Like he was never afraid to do stuff. He was afraid to do like, he didn't want to kill people. Like he, it, it, that's not like an unusual thing. That's not necessarily cowardice, mm-hmm. but you know, fucking uh, God, um, you know, and just, just little, little stuff like that. If I can, mm-hmm. I don't know. I watched the first episode and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, well, back to uh, back back to anyway, <laughs> back to our original author. Uh, to get was to, that David Graeber? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and and one of the things that uh, just to kind of get on to to kind of finish this off, um, he wrote another great article and book on bullshit jobs, and I just wanted to kind of like talk a little bit about what that was the bullshit jobs and like what the conception behind that is uh mm-hmm. so basically we live in a society where uh essentially like alienation from labor is like pervasive like mm-hmm. from the fruits of the labor and from the labor itself at certain points and the meaning that goes along with that labor because of um essentially 
create just creating work out of whole cloth. Sam's right here, uh, mm-hmm. out of whole cloth. Like, hey, here's some reports and spreadsheets that you should fill out, and you need to be a part of this society to be. You need to do this to show that you're valuable, valuable in society. And and like, yeah. there's this entire sort of like layer of our of our society that these kind of jobs, meaningless, pointless, bullshit jobs exist in. And and like the the story he told too about like how he created the book is that he was just at a he was at a party talking to people and yeah. like he kept finding out that like the folks who who would talk about their jobs they they, they didn't think their jobs needed to be exist and mm. like he he just decided to kind of turn that into a project which is which is a good idea it's a very anthropological thing to do <laughs> um, so anthropological yeah it'd just be like hey you you feel like your job shouldn't exist but it, it clearly does so what what in society is how did this happen your job and, how did this yeah, happen what, what how did it come to exactly? this <laughs> <laughs> um and and it's it's interesting to me um because like in in terms of the the statistics on this stuff is that like for for jobs that are like not in like administration like the the administrative jobs um or just just those kind of bullshit jobs like jobs that that were created to to pass forms around um they they make up like a significant percentage of our like current job stuff like mm-hmm. we're at like 30 so to take it back to academia actually almost all the growth in academia has not been in the number of teachers it has been 100% in the number of uh administration officials like it it's been more and more hr people more and more yeah. Uh, like associate dean type folks and in fact tenured tenured professors the numbers have gone way down and adjunct has gone way up yeah no there's there's less professors and there's more people in the main offices who are supposed to coordinate the professors or tell them exactly how much they're supposed to make or so on and so forth and like it this this is it's one of those things where people talk about how america trends quote unquote transition to a service economy is just a, a euphemism for like this process where we we transition to more and more people in like managerial positions that don't necessarily produce anything to yeah uh, a bureaucratized society, economy more like correct yeah uh, they don't they don't produce anything they don't create learning um they they pretty much exist just to exist and for, well, for they, academia, they also anyway. exist. They also exist to um, like throttle and create a so- shortage on the source of actual work. And plus, mm-hmm. when it comes to this abstractified bureaucratic positioning, like there becomes a like a not only an alienation from the work that you're doing, but there is sort of like a concrete. Like, well, this is what you get for that work, and this is the status that you can have in this company or this whatever, and in this society. And so, uh, when you're in that sort of bureaucratic middle, it's very easy to be pushed around and com- be comply com- and be forced to comply with somebody who's just like slightly higher on that bureaucratic ladder than you are, because because yeah. they have what you want, which is the only thing that matters, because everything else is so completely off course. Absolutely. Like, I mean, this isn't necessarily an intentional thing. What you just end up with is like, yeah, people in higher positions who are like, hey, what if I just, you know, created another job under me to handle these other reports or whatever? Yeah. What if I just created some more jobs because I, I feel like being the boss of people and I can't do that because yeah. I'm I'm the head of the, the department or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's like and a giant and, homunculus. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, for for academia anyway, I was just I was just gonna point out that like a lot of that has been funded by the fact that we can get basically free money from the government to go to college. Like a lot of that was supported by that, but in in all sorts of other industries, I mean, 
uh, one of the prevailing myths of capitalism is the idea that it, it's necessarily more efficient. But the, the fact is, once you start getting people into positions of power, and once you like basically, uh, what what we what we have now is a complicated process of people squeezing more and more profits every year, and what do you do with those profits? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies don't pay dividends or they don't pay enough dividends out of those profits. Uh, they'll, they'll find some way to put them in accounting as not dividends because mm-hmm. it's nicer if you keep it in your company. Um, but Jeff Bezos but, sure has a shitload of money when it comes to executive payouts. Yeah. And yeah, stock it, options it, and all it, that other stuff. If you're lucky, yeah. If you, you founded the company, you can definitely just tell them what the fuck you want. Um, right, you're the king. But um, but yeah, so so you end up with like uh, a lot of money and not a lot to do with it, and you just start creating jobs because you need to put that money somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you find positions. You say, hey, why don't we hire like fifteen people for this team instead of like the five that we need to actually do the work? Uh, and like just slowly over time, I mean, I, this this has been going on for. I mean, uh, since basically since the World War II, like the great boom after that, like a lot of companies made a lot of money out of out of the fact that every other country on earth was destroyed, essentially, mm-hmm. um, major country. Um, so, so in Europe they, at least, not in the U.S. The U.S. was 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 very yeah. very far away and fine. <laughs> yeah, they they were doing fine. So the U.S. was like all these companies were making bank, they were making hand over fist. So they were just started making more and more jobs. And mm-hmm. then it just kind of ran away with itself. Like, I, I guess, I guess what's interesting to me about it. So a lot of it does have to do with the U S uh, concept of, uh, have, having to work to live and, and like this Puritan ideal, uh, we, we venerate job creators. Like that's mm-hmm. a, that is a legitimate thing that actually does sway people. They want to hear about it's very the job puritanical. Creators. They they believe that millionaires are the job creators, um, and and what you have to do if you're a job creator is you have to create jobs, and it's not necessarily the jobs that the general people down the planet are getting. It's just these, you know, more administrative positions that like just keep building up over years. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, it, it just it's um, but it does like come back to the fact that like in America, whether or not we believe you should work, you you do have to work in order to live. Um, and, and that pushes a lot of pressure into like getting people to continue to doing, uh, to creating those sorts of jobs. Uh, ooh, I've gone off a check here. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's exactly right. Like that. But the 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 point is that that there's an entire the, the since economic like and this can be actually tied to to like the the debt question from earlier. Like since mm-hmm. the economic like uh, I guess imp, like imperative. And mm-hmm. for most people in the United States and most Western countries is that you have to work to live to varying mm-hmm. degrees, um, then you're going to think in terms of like creating jobs is like a necessary good, right? Yeah. When yeah. you're not, when you're just totally obscuring that there's just all these fucking resources that exist within the world. And you're just like basically looking for a reason to give them to this guy and not to that guy, or to yeah. you know, or to give a lot of them to this guy and not to those mm-hmm. other millions of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you give them to the people that, that uh-huh. are kowtowing to you, and that's how you mm-hmm. build your little few, few mm-hmm. feudal kingdoms. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's um, I don't know. I, I have bullshit jobs sitting on my shelf, and, and I have not gotten around to reading it to be honest with you. So. 
uh, I, I, I read the check out the um, check out the at least the essay. It's very good. Yeah, no, I, I read the original essay, and like mm-hmm. it, it really like I, I think Mark Mark's definitely hit onto something about alienation of labor. But I, I don't know if he was necessarily thinking about this um, in in terms of like le- legitimately jobs that absolutely did not need to exist. Like I think he was thinking more along the lines of like making stuff that you were never going to be able to buy. Essentially, well, and, and and Marx is talking about like like labor as a source of power as yeah, opposed yeah. to um as opposed to uh anything else like that's sort of like yeah, the basis of not Marxism just a, is like we have our power in the society because we are the workers and we create all wealth so if you want there to be wealth you better you better <laughs> it goes to yeah. us period you know yeah in in like in Marx's day like this was well before this sort of like process was happening it took a lot more people to run factories mm-hmm. frankly um like you you had a lot more folks Less automation. On, the, on the line yeah um and like now uh, and, and I don't want like so now the, the the thing I think I was trying to mention way back is that like uh, the the actual statistics on like the producing the, the amount of consumer goods that we have as a society, mm-hmm. we don't need nearly as many people working to do it. Like most people, I, it, I think it, I think it is up to at least 50% of people are just like, they're not doing something that's actually producing a good mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and we, we have a lot of um, inefficiency, I guess it would be the right term for that um, in society. And you mean inefficiency, it, like how? Just, just in terms of like having extra jobs, like there, oh. there are people who are not, uh, who are actually, like they're within well, corporations but, who well, do nothing but. I guess the question becomes like, but do they serve a purpose? Not really. Like, well, at, they at don't the serve the day, a purpose necessarily for the for the company. Well, they mm-hmm. might, they probably do that too. But do they serve a purpose in the social structure to maintain the established I'm, order that currently exists? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is. I mean, hmm. And like, that does that serve a function? ends up being justifying their their jobs, their their continued existence. I think I think if they had like legitimately no purpose, because um, I, I, I guess what I mean to the, say, I guess what I mean to say here is that like those jobs do exist for the purpose of maintaining the status quo of the work imperative. Yeah, and these people know that, and and then and then one of the funny things about like the the bullshit jobs is like when you have a bullshit job, you know your job is bullshit. And so, yeah. like, you can get fired, and it's not going to affect anything other than like you and the people that work for you. So, like, yeah. and that's another one of those sorts of things that function in the bureaucracy that create people that are going to do compliance within that system. Right, because they need that job to continue yeah. to work, whether consciously so done or not. But they do. They also know that the job is unnecessary, so they could be fired at any time, and yeah. nothing would fall apart. Yeah, they don't feel like they have any kind of sense of job security. They just feel like you know. Like here they, I am. I'm, I'm, if I make too much noise, they're gonna come and get me. You know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. that serves a. Fu- I, I do think that serves a social function. It serves a social function that that benefits the ruling class, but that's there yeah, yeah. for a reason. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where, um, as the future goes, and. I think one of the, the whole so the whole Yang campaign was about um, how jobs are going to be replaced by robots. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit more it's a little bit more complicated. I think the fact is that um, the way capitalism works is that you constantly have to produce growth, um, but like at, at some point your company will become stagnant because mm-hmm. there's no way to really produce more growth. Like you you get to a point where you have to like start cutting. 
uh, cut and stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like smaller, younger, more competitive companies like like Uber or you know anything that's you know quoted as disruptive and so on. Mostly they they cut they cut those kinds of jobs. They they mm-hmm. cut the administrative jobs out. Um, they end up like farming everything out to okay so so i used to be they redefine they redefine the entire relationship between worker and 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 employer as well don't they yeah yeah. like so i i used to be i used to work at a cab company as the the guy who the cashier right to Mm -hmm. to take the money from the cab drivers for their weekly rent Uh, my job was basically completely it's completely replaceable by having an app that takes like a percentage off of your uh uh, your rides everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially Uber was able to save money by not having to pay somebody like me, um, to, to be behind a bulletproof glass window and, and accept their $400 a week or whatever. Right. Uh, instead they just use the app to do it. And I, I think that's a legitimate threat, um, because it, the having, having all of these bullshit jobs is more or less a, a weakness, um, mm-hmm. in older and more established corporations and, whether they want to admit it or not, or do anything about it, and I think if if there or is, or whether to they be can anymore, do anything about it, even yeah, it, yeah. Uh, so like, if, if there is to be like future competition, like that's that's going to be the first thing that a lot of these smaller uh, like app based corporations or whatever are going to take aim at. They're going to mm-hmm. be like, we're going to eliminate all of these administrators, and we're just going to have an app that's the administrator. And, instead. In a sense, too, that that's like like part of like the middle class myth of America, too. Like those are the people who live in the fucking suburbs, and they're going to be. Oh yeah. Uh, they're going to be in for there, and again, they're going to probably either become like proud boys or fucking commies or something you know oh yeah no they're gonna this this is like it is legitimately an existential threat i think Uh i think the thing about like yang and and i i I did say this like oh like six months ago geez um is that like yeah he's absolutely pressing like his his issues are going to be the issues in like four to eight years or whatever Mm -hmm. so innovating uh, in politics he created an app for politics Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I Yeah, and 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 just to touch huh. a little bit on uh, what he was uh, working on, uh, Yang himself. Uh, we talked about Yang on this show. I guess it was six months ago. Yeah. Uh, universal basic income, and did he do a jobs guarantee or was it just universal basic income? Uh, it was just you know for him it was universal basic income and then a bunch of weird shit basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like he he had some plans. Uh, he to, did um he did spray yeah. whipped cream into that guy's mouth that one time. That was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> what? What the hell are you talking about? It was a lot of fun, man. I I'm like sad that they're gonna like they're gonna screw him out of like if if Biden wins like they're gonna screw him out of the cabinet vision. Oh, he 100%. was never in line. He's, he's not gonna shit. He was never yeah. in line for that. I mean, come on, like, man. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. Like he doesn't have a leg to stand on. Like, what's no. he gonna do? He's gonna be like, I'm gonna get that. Uh, I'll get my two percent to fucking not support you. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking my, I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> the Yang the Yang Gang will like vote for Howie Hawkins for me. <laughs> oh no, he he backed Biden like while he was still campaigning. Like he backed no, totally. him very early. <laughs> Like when like and like a day later he like fucking leaked on Twitter that he was supposed to do it for a cabinet position and like that's a no no in politics honestly that's probably what he lost it for him at the very least like he might have been serious he might have gotten like HUD or something mm-hmm. like but nah he's he's not getting it now he leaked it so yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but, but he's gonna they, have to, they had guys have, like if he does um, get hurt, he's gonna have to get the drool marks off that desk from uh, <laughs> Droopy Dog sleeping there all the time. Damn. Well, anyway, I think that that can uh, do it for this show. Anything else you want to say on the way out? Uh, abolish the USA. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, also, uh, join join DSA. Uh, check uh, check my link. It's gonna be in the bio. Get me <laughs> yeah. get me as many get me as many uh, signups as Mindy has from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. She had like twenty nine. As I looked yeah. at the little leaderboard today, she's like crushing it. I just want three. I want the hat. Yeah. Um. Uh, anyway, rival of the show, uh, Mindy. Until another one is uh, revealed, uh, when we have an episode about uh, yeah <laughs> certain things. She actually wrote a really good article uh, in Current Affair uh, recently. I may actually reach out to her about it about essentially being like a, a woman in the left and in the labor movement. It would be really wow. interesting to talk with her. This um, is going to be like a really backbiting interview where you just like make her feel bad for having so many like DSA signups. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be our, it's gonna be our first gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, I'll, I'll talk about this later. But you can uh, actually get our. I think we're gonna do another week before we send them out. But you can get uh, your uh, Biden Harris twenty twenty. Uh, sometimes because sometimes you got to clean the damn toilet sticker uh, by becoming a patron. Uh, to Good Morning Comrade, patreon.com forward slash Good Morning Comrade. Like, fave, subscribe. Also, um, when on the debate nights going forward, uh, as of recording, uh, we just recorded, we just uh, streamed the first debate. Uh, we're going to be doing that over at our Twitch channel for the next vice presidential debate. Uh, it's going to be on Wednesday, the uh, Wednesday, I think it's Wednesday. The seventh? Is that right? I'm gonna have to check I, on that. I, I absolutely do not. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check on that, and then we're gonna do all the all the debates on our Twitch uh, uh, Twitch channel, Twitch.tv forward slash Good Morning Comrade Radio, um, and also uh, what am I missing? Twitter at Comrade Morning. Follow me at MN Prof. Um, all right, cool, everybody. All right, love you. Bye. Bye. Jeff, did you get Jake saying bye? <laughs> <laughs>